Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. So here we are in the bottom of the ninth inning. Two outs and running first base. Mark Knutson, the tall right-hander, trying to nail this one down. He has thrown a gem to this point. Eight and two-thirds innings, giving up just three hits and looking for his fourth complete game for the speed and perhaps to secure his 15th victory. He's got a 3-1 to one lead here in the bottom of the ninth, but at the plate is the guy who has two of those hits, Manny Randawa. A single to center and a double to right so far. Knutson into his windup. Here's the pitch, and he throws a fastball right by Randawa for strike one. Randawa a bit tardy on that swing. Now we're ready for the next pitch. The windup, and here it comes. There's a swing and a long one. Into the gap in right center field, way back towards the wall. It's off the wall. Bichette can't get there. He's chasing it down, and out of nowhere comes Ellis Burke. He'll get to the ball first. The run's going to score. Randawa is around second. He's digging for three. Here comes the throw from Burks. It's going to be close. Here's the slide. It's it's the park-adjusted Rockies podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Mark Knudsen and Manny Randawa. What are the traits that make a great Major League Manager? Are new school types better than the old guard? This week on the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast, we asked former Dodgers and White Sox GM Dan Evans to give us his criteria for what makes a great big league manager. And how does the Rockies' Bud Black measure up? Terrific insight from a guy who's done plenty of hiring and firing. That's up next on the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Stay with us. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, look no further than DenverAutographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall. Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at denverautographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. Well, it's World Series time. Uh, actually, it's been another great postseason. I will die on this hill. Baseball has the best postseason of any of the professional sports. I don't think I'm with you. I don't think you can question that. NHL fans will say otherwise, but baseball has the best postseason. I actually wrote this week, Manny, I'd like to see more of it. I wouldn't mind seeing go back to 154 games and have yeah, you know, seven, four, four not, seven games. Or, you know, like hockey, you have four seven-game series. you got to win. Not a bad. Not a bad. And you, you know, make that, the, that lowers the – trade-off, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And, and that kind of lowers the um, – a little bit the chances of getting knocked out because of two stud yeah. pitchers on the mound for the yeah. lower seed team, you know, kind of knocking out the hundred. Like we got, we saw four hundred win teams get knocked out here. Before Having we- said that, I have no, I, I shed no tears for the Dodgers. I know our guest, well, does, oh, yes, I know, but I shed no tears for the Dodgers. And that's not what we do here on here. But let's uh, let's bring Dan Evans into the program. Dan, uh, thank you for joining us. I hope you're feeling better. A little bout of COVID, but uh, I'm glad you're back and ready ready to go. If the, uh, we're only audio, but <laughs> if you can see Dan, Dan's background on his Zoom is a cornfield. Appropriately so, the, man. It should be the man. And, yeah, and and with all this Dodger slander on the podcast already, for I'm going to apologize on behalf of my co-host, Danny. Um, but uh, but thank you, man. Dan Evans, former GM of the Dodgers, is the GM White Sox. Um, just, I mean, this guy's been in baseball for so many decades, and we'd love to pick his brain. Uh, he's also the COO of the Field of Dreams game. So every time you see that fantastic program put on um that's he's the man behind it so we really appreciate your time today dan you got it great to join both of you guys how are you 
We're, we're good. Hey, listen, um, we don't want to talk too much about the Field of Dreams because we do want to talk about that in a future episode. We want to get you and Frank Thomas on together to talk about that. Okay. So I, we can sell this whole first hit should have been caught thing once and for all. Oh, yeah, that's going to not back down on that. And I'm going to have a field day or field <laughs> pod or whatever you call it. High anyway. expectations of the right fielder right there, Mr. Nixon. Uh, you know, if he's <laughs> playing in position, he catches. I've was, hey, listen, Rob Deere? Was guy, that Rob Deere out there? Rob Deere was a very good outfielder. Get him I, on the podcast, too. Though. I was... I was there. I would have been impressed if he'd have. Uh, if if he it was, was a missile, man. It was a I've missile. I wish we had Statcast. If we had Statcast for this thing, okay. How many? It would have been. Get... It would have been 122 miles per hour off the. Bat. How many missiles? How many missiles get caught? A lot what? of them, right? A lot of them. If the guy's yeah, in the right that position, ball. he makes not it. that ball. Yeah, no you way. know, I saw Manny like, one of like 11 triples in his career. Manny, if he'd come inside in the bat, maybe Frank wouldn't have been as comfortable with the ball away like that. Okay, you never well, know. That's legitimate. You know? That's, legitimate. <laughs> that's, probably why, that's probably why the White Sox didn't draft me back then, right? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Dave, what we want to talk about today is the role of managers, and, and not just the role of managers, because Joe Madden made, out of, I thought, a tremendous case he made a few weeks ago regarding um, managers and general managers and who's in charge of lineups, et cetera. We'll get into that. But yeah. let's start with this. What's the criteria nowadays for being hired to be a big, big league manager? It used to be pretty clear cut. You had to be a former player and all of that. Um, it's not that clear cut anymore. Um, guys are getting hired that we're shocked we're getting hired to be managers. No playing experience, limited playing experience. You tell me, you are a general manager. You hired managers. Tell us, mm-hmm. what's the criteria now? Is there a criteria? Well, 30 different ways of running a ball club in the front office, on the field. There's the control freak GMs who really like to control everything about the club. Uh, I find a lot of fault with that, Mark, because they're really quick to fire the manager if their decisions don't work well. Um, But there's legitimately, there's 30 different ways of doing it. I think the best ones, um, at least I'm going to speak from my experience, you let the players play, the coaches coach, the manager manage, and let the front office front office. And if you're collective, cohesive, you trust each other. Um, you all do your job really well, and you have a really good product on the field. Um, the micromanagers in any business in the world, um, they're control freaks, and it never works out. And I think we see some of them in the big leagues where, you know, there's some clubs that the GM or his staff will put the lineup on the manager's desk in the morning or send it in an email, or text it to them. For me, shame on them. Because if you're going to do that, then own the losses um, and celebrate the wins. But there are people that do that. And then there's others who trust their field staff, who trust the gut of the manager. Um, You know, we just saw some the other day where we saw Rob Thompson, a great baseball guy. No other way to describe Robbie. He's awesome. Finally gets his opportunity. Fifth inning, he just felt it. It was time. It was time to get his, you know, one of his two aces out of the game. And there are some general managers and teams who would have fought that. Rob is empowered by by Dave Dombrowski. Went out to the mound, brought in Alvarez, and Alvarez turned out to get one of the biggest outs of the game to stop the momentum. Um, You know, we saw a few years ago, Kevin Cash. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I was going to bring that up. So I think the problem here 
is there's a lot of people in the game who love the control but don't like the heat under their bottom. Hmm. And for me, Mark, you were there. You've been on the slab. You get it. You got to own it. If you're going to make that call, you got to own it. And for me, anytime I hired a manager, a coach, I gave them the opportunity to get themselves an extension or get themselves out of the job. And I think that's the least you can do in that situation. As you both know, this is a relationship game. You know, it's 162 games played over 185 days. And there's a lot of ebbs and flows in the season. There's family issues, there's illnesses, there's injuries. The general manager doesn't have that feel. There's no way. I don't care how good you communicate that. The bench coach, the coaches, the manager, the trainer, they know it better. And uh, shame on the guys who control the manager and hire a puppet. I don't blame the guy for taking the job because it's lucrative. It's a great opportunity. But I really respect and appreciate the department heads that let people do their job. But, Mark, it's just like the general managers who make the call in the draft. I mean, give me a break. No, that's not your gig. You're not watching all those guys. Let the scouting director make that choice. It seems like, Dan, that it's always coming back to that, no matter who we talk to. And I think that's right, rightfully so. It's it's about people skills. It just yep. comes down to being personable, being understanding, being um, professional, being, you know, getting getting everybody on the same page, despite maybe uh, a number of different um, potentially outsized egos in the room. Um, and, you know, we had Brian McTaggart of MLB.com who covers the Astros on last podcast. And we were talking about the Astros and, and how they kind of meld the uh, old school and new school with Dusty and also with what they do with analytics. And he said, yeah, you know, there's, there were some, sometimes there, there was some, you know, there was some, yep. some, some conflict well, he, in there. Some, he doesn't some, expect the GM and the manager both be back next year for that reason. Remember? Yeah. yeah. And well, no I don't know if it was, yeah, I don't know if it was for that reason, but I, I know that, yeah, he did say that um, as far as the, the one of them is going to be gone. But uh, what I found interesting was that there was, there was, con- there was some friction there and then, but then Dusty remained, they made it work. They let Dusty go with his gut when he wanted to go with his gut. And they also, and, and Dusty didn't just dismiss the numbers and the analytic part of it. And they're, they're in the world series for the fourth time in six years. Um, they're right. doing it right. And, you know, uh, we've seen so many instances of just things not working out because of just people butting heads. And, and if it's that, you know, if it's, if it's that simple, man, maybe there needs to be more when, when, when hiring GMs and when hiring uh, managers, there needs to be more of a focus on, the ability to get along. You know what I mean? Simple as that. Yeah. Well, Manny, you know what? You, you nailed it. You guys nailed it. And I would be very surprised if both of those Astros people came back in 23, regardless of the outcome. Um, but here's my problem is the general manager should be able to hire the manager and then they should both be fully accountable. I think a lot for of times, jobs, when you like you and, said, for their jobs, for what they are totally, responsible for. Totally. And and Manny, when you inherit a guy, either way, it's awkward. We both, I mean, all three of us know that. Yep. When you inherit a boss or a boss inherits a staff member and all the pressure and all the craziness that goes on in baseball today, when you don't have full autonomy, a relationship, a trust, there's always fragments and there's fracturing that goes on 
But Manny, you nailed it. It's just trusting each other. It's it's coming downstairs after the game and saying before the media comes in. So let me ask you, what was going on there? Why did you right. why did you make that move? And the guy gives you a feedback, and I can live with that. Can you give us some can you give paid. us some real world examples from your time in the GM? Oh, chair? sure. Because because sure, you sure I'll give you yeah, that would be yeah, great. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you the one that comes to mind first. Gagne's in the middle of his 80-plus save streak with the Dodgers, and um, Jim Tracy was a manager and didn't bring him in in a really key situation in the last two or three weeks of the season when we're chasing a playoff spot. Manny, as you know, Mark, you guys are both in the media. You know the doors are going to open about 10 minutes after the game, and you better have an answer. And I was really pretty pissed off because I thought, you know, that's our guy. Um, he should be in that game. That's not Paul Quantrill's game. But Jim and I had a really good relationship. And I went down and I said, hey, before the media comes in, what happened there? You had him up. What's going on? He told me. I didn't agree with him. But I said to him, I said, okay, so you thought that's through. I, I said, I'll support you. But just know that I don't agree with you. And he's like, fine. And then when the media came to me afterwards, I was very, very careful not to dump all over the manager because there's got to be a cohesive um, upper boundary. But, you know, this happens at King Supers. This happens at CVS. Yeah, right. Um, any any you know, this happens situation. No question. And for me, the problem is when the hierarchy isn't in sync, isn't in concert, um, the difference is, King Supers, they have a display and people are, you know, disappointed in each other. Well, nobody knows. Well, this happens in the big, right. This (laughs) happens in the big leagues. It's on Twitter. It's on the pregame show. It's on the postgame show. And there's a lot of people who like to be experts that really don't uh, know. Let's just, let's just make it very clear. Right. Right off the bat, Dan, everybody on Twitter is an expert. That's right. That's that's why they get the blue. The blue check just makes you smarter, right, man? Yeah. Pay the 20 bucks, man. Pay the 20 bucks that you're going to be charged well, for it. 20 bucks a month. Yeah, too. a month. So we're, so we're talking almost $300 a year to be smart. Unbelievable. Because hey, you, all, you all are experts out there. So you, you, know, you know you need to have the check mark. So. Crazy. But guys, I think what we have here is we have a fracture in trust and we have an accountability issue that in a public setting um, really renders an ugly situation. And, you know, it's great when you're on the same page as your manager, um, me with Jim Fergosi, me with Mike Hargrove, me with uh, Jerry Manuel. Um, you know, if you're on the same page, it's okay to disagree. In fact, I think the contrarian position is healthy. It, I agree. it invites totally agree. discussion, yep. mm-hmm. you know, and the two yep. of you guys are. Yeah, you don't want an echo chamber. You want everybody just no. exactly right. Oh, I love it. Everywhere. I love it. And one of the problems with the bad clubs in the game is they don't bring people in from the outside who disagree or have a different viewpoint. And they just agree to continue to promote a negative way of doing things. And the manager, the general manager, just continue to tread water at best. That's a perfect segue to the Colorado Rockies. Um, I I'm a Bud Black fan. I think Manny's a Bud Black fan. I'm not sure. In fact, I don't believe the Rockies could find a better guy for the job. And I don't know if they did it by accident, but the demeanor, the communication skills, with all the things you're talking about are first rate with Bud Black. Um, however, the above Bud Black is up for up for debate, right? Um, general manager on upward is very debatable. 
Um, do you see that? Do you look at it that way? Do you say the Rockies got lucky and hired the right guy or because there's no disconnect, but he's just doing more or less you know, what he's told to do and working with who he has to work with. So how, do, how should Rockies fans look at Bud Black in the situation with their manager? I've known Bud for 20 plus years. One of the finest people I've ever met in the game in or out of the game, to be honest with you, Mark, Um, an exceptional guy. He was a great pitching coach, a really high level competitor as a, as a player. Um, Bud Black is a wonderful guy, but no manager can win with the talent that the Rockies front office has given Bud Black. It's inferior. It's in, and, and, you know, and this is one of the things that, Fans are real quick to point the finger at the manager, but the manager is only as good as the 26 plus guys that are in uniform that night. And I don't care how good you are. You can't create good out of bad. They have one of the worst farm systems in the game. They don't participate in Asia. They do a terrible job in Latin America. They don't trade. They don't sign free agents. That's on them. And I think it'd be really sad if Bud Black was ever singled out. I think they got lucky with Bud. They didn't know how good he was going to be. He handles the media. He communicates. He's great with pitchers. No excuses. And guys, candidly, I like the fact that he's not lame on excuses. If the team doesn't play well, he doesn't play that Kool-Aid game where he tolerates inferior play or bad fundamentals. The problem is the Rockies keep putting inferior players on the field. Um, You know, they have one of the worst records in baseball since they made the playoffs and nobody seems to want to own that. So you're either bad making bad decisions or you're bad intentionally bad. Most people wouldn't wouldn't admit to be intentionally bad. I think we have here is ineptitude in the front office and we have a churning of decision makers that has remained in place for about a 10 year period. When you do that, you're just going to put the same poor product on the field. And I feel for Rockies fans because it's a, it's an elite ballpark. It's a great experience, but it is probably one of the worst run organizations in the game. And for me, guys, I'm a fan. Who would you go to see play in a Rockies uniform? One of my first bosses told me that your job is to put entertainment on the field to put somebody on the field that people come to see play, you can lose and they still come to see that guy. I wouldn't come to see a single guy on the Colorado Rockies. There's nobody who I would go, wow, that's exciting. He's a heck of a player. And to me, that's your responsibility as a front office person. It is the purest form of entertainment. Put players out that people want to come to see play. I don't think they're doing a good job of that. And yet the weird thing about this is Bud Black doesn't ever get any blame. Hey, you, I mean, none of us in the media ever point the finger and say he's the reason they're losing. I mean, that, like you said, well, yeah, I, I those think part markets, of that, that would be the case, but not here. I think part of that too, though, is that uh, I would hope, and it's a, certainly the case for me, and nobody's immune from, from criticism, but I, right. I would hope that the media around here is doing that because they understand that he, they're looking at what he has to work with and they're going yep. based on yeah. that. And it's like, look, you know, he, the fact that honestly, the fact that he got them to the postseason in 17 and 18, they overachieved both years that yep, they were, no that was not a team Remarkable. on, on yep. paper that should, what he did with that starting rotation, best, best starting rotation performance as a group in franchise history. So he was doing 
things yep. that you know like like dan you alluded to he was better than what they maybe expected as far as what he did right. with what he had and i think that's why you know the, the the blame doesn't get laid at his feet because it's like well yeah look at the roster one through you know, well, and Manny, you know what? I agree with you. And I, and, and I'm not saying this because you two guys are on this, but there's a lot of veteran people in the media in our market that have watched baseball for an extended period. And it's almost a recognition of, Hey, you know, the cook's not being, not getting very good ingredients. Yeah, Right. You, you alluded to the postseason. You know, I think the Rockies fell in love with their pitching staff and thought they had a bunch of twos and threes when they had a bunch of three, fours and fives. And time has proven that they didn't get better. They actually went backwards. Their pitching staff regressed because Bud kind of squeezed all the lemon uh, juice out of the lemon and they came back to reality. But the problem was because the, the position player talent went so far backwards, LeMahieu, you see Blackman aging right in front of our eyes. You know, the greatest third baseman of his generation goes, um, when you lose players of that caliber story and you replace them with inferior players, what happens is the pitching gets worse. Right. You know, the that's pitching is where it is. And the defense, which had been very good on the left side, suddenly became mediocre. Um, and it's taking people like Brendan Rogers and pretending like he's better than he is. He's, he's okay within their system, but in a below average farm system, he looks better than he really is. He's just another guy when it comes down to it. That's fair. That's fair. Let's um, let's spin this backwards a little bit and talk about managers, the, the criteria for hiring. If you were a GM today, what would be your criteria for hiring a manager? Pretty much the same criteria it's been for me for about the last 20 years, Mark. I think the toughest job a manager has is communicating with the media on a daily basis without filters. I think it's a real challenge. And for all the fans listening, imagine you lose a 6-5 game on a walk-off and 10 minutes later you got 12 to 15 stick mics in your face and you become the face of the club and you've got to answer those questions to me the ability to handle the media is number one mm. to handle a bullpen is number two mm. and for me your communication skills of your 26 players is three i for me and you guys know me well you know i think for a manager whether he's analytically inclined or gut hunch inclined, I think it's imperative that he draws information from every source he possibly can, because I think that's just good management. So if you're a, if you're a stat guy, you know, you, you've got good coaches that help you. If you're a seat of the pants guy, you've got good analytics people. I think the best organizations blend it and they're not territorial. I mean, for me, the elite organizations in the game, the Dodgers, the Cardinals, the Giants, the Red Sox. Um, I think those clubs do it better than most because, I mean, I look at Tampa Bay, I look at Atlanta. They incorporate everybody's opinion. And what you see is the finished product. I think what we've got nowadays is some managers are being hired because of one particular skill set, and then they're not supporting that individual with people who basically augment their deficiencies and we all have them um yeah, i think that's I, the I key right there of, though danny that, that, that we all have no matter who you are no matter what you've accomplished in the game you, you're gonna have 
blind spots that you're going to need other people around you to fill. And like you said, yeah. you take your strength and you combine it with someone who can feel your weakness. Right. And and then, and then yeah. go from there. And it seems like, I mean, the only thing that I can think of that you would usually would usually cause um, that not to happen is ego. Well, ego and expectations. I think managing expectations, Manny is the, to me is the, it's the kryptonite of sports. Um, we yeah. go out there and we talk about guys as if they are somebody that they're not, you know, Mark played with a couple of the greatest players of his generation. Yeah. And their expectations were to come out and be elite players every night. Well, luckily they were. There are some guys, and I would say most, who can manage those expectations. And in some cases, and I'll, I'll just, you know, take a veer here a little bit. There are some general managers who overstate the players on their club and overstate the competitive level of their team. They tell the fans, they tell the, the owner. And they're really protecting themselves. And they talk about the team being highly competitive. That's happened a couple of times here in Colorado. And what it does <laughs> sets everybody in times. the dugout. <laughs> well, and it sets everybody in the dugout up for failure. Because if, you know, like I remember there were, there were some conversations last year about the Rockies being competitive. The Rockies were never competitive. They were eliminated the first day they reported to spring training. Yeah. But I think <laughs> then you get Dave Dombrowski who lets Joe Girardi go. And what does he say at the press conference? And I worked with Dave. I was not surprised when he said it. He said, hey, I think we're good enough to make the playoffs. I think this club's a playoff team. Well, Rob Thompson's assuming a job where he knows he's got to manage his butt off to get an extension. Well, he hears that. And you know what? He knows what his task is. But I think what we have here as a sport, guys, is that with 12 playoff teams, there's 18 teams watching TV in October and it's a crapshoot. There's 400 lost teams, hundred win teams watching the world series. Um, none of us anticipated the fills in here, but it makes sense now that you look at it because we gain momentum. We pick up opinions of players and teams throughout the season. We look at the Braves, the Mets, we look at the cards, we look at the Dodgers, and we go, wow, that is an easy World Series club. Well, they're all watching TV. Yeah, so and, and, when... and it's kind of following the same mold, isn't it, Danny? Like, like it's the Phillies are following kind of, it seems like a similar mode, at least in terms of how they started off the season and then how they took off as the Nationals in 2019 and the Braves last year. And it's yeah. almost like, you know, there's something to the adversity that they went through early and then they just kind of just launched and took off and never looked back. And Manny, I think, you know, when Mark asked earlier about how do you hire somebody today, you know, for me, one of the strongest voices in your clubhouse has got to be your field staff, sometimes telling you as the general manager or the assistant, hey, he's not that good. Mm -hmm. Or this guy you just brought up from your minor league system, you know, we trusted that you were bringing up that guy. He's not that guy. Some managers, some GMs, some field staffs, don't have that camaraderie, that trust, that relationship. I always enjoyed it. I loved it when a manager said, you know, Danny, I know you like this guy, but I have not seen what you guys have been saying about him. He's come up from the minor leagues. He can't play the game. He can't handle the fastball in. And you start to debate, okay, maybe I made a mistake here. But guys, in some organizations, some managers would never do that. They would never challenge the manager because i mean the general manager because the gm is 
is mm-hmm. a, an egomaniac and he can't be he can't be critiqued. And mm-hmm. you know, as a result, who wears? I always say this, and Mark, I think you'll probably appreciate this more than the two of us. You know, there's a reason why wins and losses are assigned. They're assigned on your record, yeah. and it's real. And and I think one of the problems we have here is somebody's accountable. Somebody's got to wear the L and take the W. In too many organizations, people vie over the W and immediately assign the loss. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's that's just sad. I'll, I'll throw the a whole name organization at you. should wear it. I'll yeah. throw your name at you, who's the primary example of the guy I, I we both know who was the best in the world at that was Terry Bevington. That was Terry Bevington in a nutshell. Take the take the W assign the L. That was Terry. Listen, how, how important, and this is a two-part question. How important was or is playing experience? The manager should be a guy who played the game, who wore the uniform, who, who sweat on the field. Is that that used to be obviously a no-brainer? It's not anymore. And second of all, second part of the question: How come? I mean, this has been debated forever. How come the great players don't ever make great managers? Oh, two great questions, Mark. I think Leland, Sparky, Walter Alston. There's some great managers who didn't play. Hardly a lick in the right. big leagues. We weren't very good, yep. And we got one um, back just now, Bochi at Texas now, yep. but uh, yep. he didn't. Right. Bochi was a great backup. <laughs> a great backup. Well, he played 35 games, 35 games a year. I mean, yep. that, mm-hmm. and, like, and like he told me once, he said, and I was really good for those 35 games. So <laughs> I think. Very Bochi right there. I, 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 I think what we've, I think what we've got here is for me a, a change in the game over the last 30 years. When I came in the game, Every general manager was a former player. That's right. Yep. I mean, every single one of them, yep. every scouting director, every GM, and every manager had had toiled on the field. Yep. And all of a sudden, it started to change. And I don't know if it's good or bad. There's some brilliant people in the dugouts making decisions that didn't play in the big leagues. You don't, I, I compare it to the, the guy who is the orchestra conductor. You don't have to play the cello to know what a good cello sounds like. Yep. But for me, I think the problem is, I don't think it's, it's, it's a mandate that you had to have played in the big leagues, that you had to have been um, a really good player to be a good manager, because I think a lot of elite players are horrible coaches, managers, and instructors. No, no question. Because no question. the game came easier for them. Right. You know, like one great player once said to me, in a really critical position, I said to him, so why? And he goes, I don't know, Dan, I never thought about that. I just yeah. was, just I good. outplayed people. I yeah. was out physical. And he said, I never really thought that deeply at that point of the game. And I remember something that Carlton Fisk once told me, and he said, the further away from home plate you get, the harder it is to be a manager. And Ooh. I think it's real. And I yeah, think I it's real because every pitch of the game matters. What did Castellano say the other night? Did you guys hear the post game? He said, ah, you know, there's times in the game and during a regular season where I just wander during the ball game because over 162 games, it's really hard to focus. But catcher can't do that. Nope. Manager can't do that. Pitcher can't do that. Shortstop can't do that. Right. And I think Pudge is right. I think the further from home plate. So when he told me that one day, we were having dinner in Kansas City. I was a 22-year-old kid. And here's this future Hall of Famer who turns out to be one of my greatest mentors and just most brilliant people I've ever been around. He said that to me and I challenged him and he said, no, Danny, just think about it. 
He goes, the guys who didn't play in the big leagues that were still really good managers, they were catchers. Yeah, they were. You know, Leland. Well, how come there, and how come there aren't any more pitchers? How come Bud's the only pitcher who's a former manager? Discrimination. I don't. I think. I think there's a stigma. Yeah. I think there's a. I think there's a definite stigma, and I think it leaks back into the old days where managers, you know, were never a pitcher. You didn't even right. interview Mm-mm. pitchers. But I think I think Bud's a great example. He's he's fine. Yep. And what's the hardest thing you do, Mark, is manage the pitching staff. Yeah, that's right. That's who I want. I want the guy who can manage the staff better than anybody. If he can manage a bullpen, he's going to keep my team competitive. Mm-hmm. I think the problem is when, very candidly, you throw outfielders and corner players who had it easy and were gifted athletes they tend to be the worst candidates because the game never was a grind for them. Right. I'll tell you, I'll and tell you guys grind... something yep. that, Go ahead. sorry, Danny, so, something that, cause, cause you mentioned Jim Leland. I talked to him a couple of weeks ago for a story. Um, and one thing that I didn't get to use in the story, cause it just didn't go along with the, with the story was a look back at Sid Bream and the slide and everything. But he said, I asked him like, what made you so emotional during your career? Because Jim Leland you know, he's a chain smoking guy he's in the dugout. He looks really gruff and tough, but so many times he's caught on camera, tearing up, crying. And, uh, you know, yeah. And I said, what, what, what is it that led to that kind of, that kind of dichotomy between, between the, the look and the man and, you know, and he could be tough. I mean, everybody remembers the Barry Bonds, you know, mm-hmm. thing, you know, when he, when he chewed out Bonds for, for not hustling in practice or whatever. Um, in his first year. Yeah, and and Bonds respected him a lot um, throughout his career, and with with Leland after that. And I, I, but he said his answer to the question about why he got so emotional was because he didn't play a lot when he was a a, a, a player. He said, "I, yeah. I can't believe I'm where I am. I, I don't, you know, winning three straight, uh, three straight uh, division titles, getting to the NLC, getting within you know a game of the World Series with the Pirates, and winning it in Mar in the Marlins, getting back to two more with the Tigers." He said, "I just, you know, and." You know, even sending down players would get me, get me crying, you know, when I had to you send bet. down guys or I have to, you know, it, because it's their life. And I know what that is like as a player who was not who couldn't cut it, you know. And so I wonder then if you've seen that, too, Dan, that guys who don't have as much playing experience make better managers for reasons like that. Yeah, because it was hard for them, Manny. You know, yeah. I, I work with Jimmy. I work with Jimmy. We hired him as a third base coach of the White Sox. And then he was our third base coach for like three or four years. And then he became a manager and we've stayed in touch. He's a great friend of mine. I think the guys with a game wasn't easy for, I think they appreciate the failure of the sport and yeah. the adversity of the game. And baseball, the, game the sport, was never of, easy failure, for sport of failure, right? Oh, it this is. is a game oh, of Manny, failure. Manny, you nailed it. Yep. Manny, it's the, it's, you know, I remember Jordan, Michael Jordan hitting like 180 at one point. And he said to me, Danny, Kenny, if I shot 18% in the NBA, I said, I know. And he said to me, he said, he said, this is a grind. And I said, oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that. And I think the part about the game <laughs> that those of us that are in the game get more than anything is you fail far more yeah. than you succeed. 70% of the I mean, time and you're good, you know? Right. You and why do we marvel at success? Because it's so hard to succeed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you made the comment earlier, Mark, about the Dodgers. And hey, I'm a Dodger fan because I respect how they do things. But I also love Dave Roberts. Mm-hmm. And I look at what they've accomplished, what the Braves accomplished in the 90s. And 
when you come away with just one World Series, yeah. that's not failure. That's not failure in any way. We've gone 20 years as a game without a repeat, a repeat champion. Yeah. This game is laden with failure. And yeah, I, I think the problem with the sport is that for so many people that didn't play, haven't been embedded in the game, you know, they that. don't realize exactly. yeah, that that, that grind, that failure, that, you know, the, the same reason that I have always migrated toward legacy players, Vladdy Guerrero, Biggio, I look at all the players I signed through the years that were legacies. And the reason I loved them is because they saw it in living color. They saw yeah, how Buddy hard Bell, it was. That's a great point. Yeah, Buddy Bell told me early in his career, because, you know, my dad would come home, 0 for 4, crowd booing him. And I knew how that felt. I knew what that yeah. looked like. For me, that's why legacy players are always able to manage difficult situations. That's a great point. Mark, and and you, you, were, you were in the Blue Jays organization, and you know exactly. I mean, you were right there when they were all you know drafted and everything. And so you know... You know, when you're getting when when it's when it comes to asking you about these guys, you're like, that's going to go into it. I never thought about that. I mean, that just that, oh, that they, pushed, have, they have lived I pushed it. Pushed for seen. Junior so hard, both of them, and I pushed for for uh, for you know for Bo hard because Bo's around one of the one of the real most instinctive players of his generation. I think you played with him, Mark. Can you play with Dante? Oh yes, we've had him on the show. He still blames yep. him for he still blames him for missing fly, you know fly balls out there. No, 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 no. Bo goes through the first five months of the season struggling, under underperforming. And what does he do in September? He found it. He figured it out. Yep. And why did he figure it out? Because for me, he's a legacy. And he knows it's a grind. you got to show up every day. Most people in most businesses, guys, couldn't do what baseball players and executives do every day. You know, one of the great movies, I think, of all time, a great baseball movie is League the of the Best Rim, baseball movie ever. Wow. Best baseball I movie. love it. Well, I can't say that, Mark, because I'm pretty partial to the field of dreams. <laughs> I think, I think Dan's is, got a, a Dan little bit a of favorite. a bias on that one. A little vested interest, maybe an inherent bias. But still, for me, one of the great lines of that movie is when Hanks says, um, if, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Yep. It's a hard game. So the hard is what and makes I, it great. Yep. I agree. And yeah, the hard is what makes me respect excellence because it's so hard to be consistent. Because you have to good. keep with it, right? You have to continue on grinding, oh, yes. like you said earlier. I talked to uh, John Carlos Stanton a few years ago, and he said it was when he was hitting, like, he was chasing 60. And he said, um, baseball was not my favorite sport at all. I didn't like it. My dad's the only reason why I'm still, I, I, I kept at it because, you know, my dad would keep pushing me to go to the batting cage and he'd help me all the time and make time for all that. And, and I take me to El Dodger stadium to watch games and stuff. And I said, why would, why would you like it just anyway? And he said, cause there's too much failure. And yeah. I don't, I just, I, yeah. you know, with football and basketball and stuff, there's just much more success. And I looked at it that yeah. way. And I think he made the right choice in the end. It's good that his so dad, too. it's good that his dad kept yeah, him out. I but saw like him you play said, football the, too. It's the grind. Hey, it's the grind that you have yeah. to get through to get there. Hey, Danny, one more thing. Yeah, I was going to say ahead. one more thing about managers. Um, Keith Hernandez told me one time. I asked him. I said, "Why as a great player?" He, you know, he wrote that book where he sat down and he and he analyzed two baseball games, one on TV and one behind home plate, and it's pitch by pitch, total way way manager. Yeah. 
I said, why don't you want to be a manager? Because I don't have the patience. I don't have the patience yeah. for that failure you're talking about. I don't have the, I can't, uh, guys can't do what I could do. And that drives me crazy. And I think that's what keeps yes. a lot of great players who, are, who might have the acumen, keeps them away from the dugout. Yeah. And Mark, that's a super point. The other thing, they don't have the patience. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it takes a special person. Yeah. I think the most unappreciated player in the game is the average big leaguer. Yes. I agree. I agree. <laughs> average big leaguer and everybody the wants point to five war them. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I celebrate them because you know what? To be that guy year in and year out, mm-hmm. man, that's a special guy. There's no you glory in it, and you, you just got to physical attributes. You're going to grind that thing every single year. Guys who get to ten years that are mediocre talents, yep. man, I celebrate the heck out of them because for me, that's the that is the most unappreciated guy in the game. You know, it's easy to be Ichiro. It's easy to be Verlander. It's not easy. To be that 255 hitter who knows every year he might be replaced, yep. yet keeps going. And, yep. you know, for me, that's why I love legacy players. I love, I covet the average guys with plus makeup. They become the great coaches. They become the great men. You know who I think the the poster boy for, for this is on the pitching side? Who A guy that all of these uh, average guys should look up to is Jordan Lyles. That guy gets more out of less. <laughs> I, I'm saying his yeah. ERA is four and a half for his career. And he's, he's earned like $50 million. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's just, he can, there's something there. There's a reason why they keep bringing him back out there because he'll throw a one hitter and then he'll get lit up, but then he comes back and throws you know, another three hitter and then he gets lit up. And maybe and just, that's his entire career. And maybe just maybe Jordan Lyles will get a chance to be a manager at some point. And the Rockies, who, who the Rockies having in Grand Junction, now, the independent Rockies, I mean, I'm Grand Junction. Um, uh, there's a pitcher managing an independent league. Um, yeah, not, not enough of them. Not enough of them. But anyway, hey, Danny, we got to let you run. I know you're busy. We do want to We'll set the table for the next time we have you on with Frank to talk about the field of dreams. There won't be a game next summer, but that doesn't mean a lot of big things aren't happening out in the cornfields. And we want to talk about that next time we have you on. Love it. We got uh, so much going on. You'll be stunned. Love you too. Hope you're doing well. Let's enjoy the heck out of this World Series. All right. Thanks, hey, Danny. Danny. Thank Always you a pleasure. Very, very much. Look forward to having you back. There he goes. Dan Evans, former general manager of the White Sox and the Dodgers. Uh, he'll be back uh, with us again. To talk Field of Dreams here. Come t- something sometime in the offseason. Manny, it is closer time. You ready? I'm coming in from the bullpen. Here we go. All right. Here we go. We'll be back right after this on the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Stay with us. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, look no further than DenverAutographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall, Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at DenverAutographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. If there's one thing the MLB postseason has demonstrated over and over again throughout the years, it's that the best team on paper often doesn't win. It all contributes to what Mark rightly called the best postseason in all of sports on today's podcast. Just last year, the playoff team with the fewest regular season wins, the Braves, beat the heavily favored Astros to win Atlanta's first championship in 26 years. 
Take the three Giants clubs that won the World Series in 2010, 12, and 14. None of those teams was superior when it came to its matchup in the Fall Classic, or even the series they won to get there. But San Francisco prevailed, as did the Cardinals in 2011, beating Texas in thrilling fashion with one of the most improbable and dramatic comebacks in World Series history in Game 6. And then there were the 2003 Marlins knocking off the powerhouse Yankees. Perhaps the ultimate example was the 2006 Cardinals, who won just 83 games but took down the 95-win Tigers. Here we are again in 2022, with the Phillies giving the mighty Astros a run for their money, splitting the first two games of the World Series in Houston, and returning home to a hero's welcome as they host games 3-5 through five at Citizens Bank Park. The Astros are, on paper, by far the superior team, but there's something to these Phillies that makes you wonder if they can pull off a stunning upset. A common thread with underdog teams is that they've got some interesting personalities. That was true of the quote-unquote misfit Giants of the early 2010s, for example, and it's true of this year's Phillies. Speaking of interesting personalities, we've got two in this year's beloved mascots, Orbit for Houston and the Philly Fanatic for Philadelphia. Orbit has gotten to do his thing in a fall classic in four of the last six years. But it's been a while for the Fanatic, 12 years since he got to experience the World Series, and 13 since he got to participate in a victory parade. If history serves as any guide, don't be shocked if he's doing his bit on Broad Street in Philadelphia in a couple of weeks. So Manny shuts the door on this episode of the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Our thanks to former big league GM Dan Evans for his terrific insight. And once again, thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 